Thanks for joining us again at the Canadian Breakpoint, a Canadian infectious diseases podcast by Canadian infectious diseases physicians. I'm Summer Stewart, here with Dr. Rapina Purewal, pediatric infectious diseases physician from Saskatoon. In this episode, we welcome Dr. Jennifer Grant, medical microbiologist and infectious diseases physician in Vancouver, British Columbia, who specializes in antimicrobial stewardship. Today, we'll be discussing ASPIRES, the Anti-Infective Prescription Audit and Feedback Service System. Dr. Purewall. All right, welcome to another episode of our podcast at the Canadian Breakpoint. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Jennifer Grant, who's practiced medical microbiology and infectious diseases in Vancouver since 2007. She's been on the boards of Chica Now IPAC Canada and AMI Canada. Her current concentration is on antimicrobial stewardship as the medical director of Vancouver Coastal Health's Aspires program, providing stewardship support for the coastal region of British Columbia and occupational health during the COVID-19 pandemic. Her research projects include quality improvement initiatives in antimicrobial utilization locally and nationally, occupational health of physicians during the pandemic, and clinical research into optimal use of antimicrobials. Away from medicine, Jennifer is a mother to three, an avid skier and mountain biker, making use of the coastal mountains whenever possible. Welcome, Dr. Grant. Thanks, and thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. So today we want to talk a lot about your program, um, Aspires. So I think for our audience who we have pharmacists, nurses, physicians from really across the world who are listening in and would love to hear and have you tell us about what Aspires is, um, what it stands for, and what really, when was it established? Okay, so Aspires is our antimicrobial stewardship program. And um, it it has an acronym, and I can almost never remember the precise words in the acronym. <laughs> it's antimicrobial stewardship. And we're really concentrating on quality improvement and knowledge improvement as well. We started essentially before stewardship programs became required in in hospital okay. system. We we knew it's something we wanted to do, and our and our hospital system did have a lot of people working in the stewardship space, but we didn't really have an official program. So we partnered with infection prevention and control. And we were really trying to work on making patient experience better and smoother and safer. So we tied um, the use of enhanced cleaning and um, reducing basically environmental spread of resistant organisms to try and reduce their induction by using antimicrobial stewardship. And that was a trade-off with um, reducing the need for isolation space and gowns and and whatnot. So we built it as a business case, as a pilot project proof of principle. To, to make a, a system that could actually be used for our region, starting out small and hoping to expand it over time. So we started out with m- myself and a pharmacist, and we've worked on building the data to, to support that program over time. And currently, how many centers have you expanded to in the coastal region there? So we cover all of our communities of care. So we have three major communities of care the um, Richmond, Vancouver, and then the coastal community of care. That entails something like seven hospitals and a whole bunch of other smaller centers that are sort of within our our umbrella group. 
And then in terms of kind of your goal of Aspires, um, I'm sure that goal is like, been changing over time as you've had kind of your, you know, quality improvement projects and reflection on how things have been going. But initially when it was started, was it to combat um, AMR and, um, and was that the original purpose or was the pilot started for other reasons at that time? So, so I guess the first couple of years of any program is is trying to justify your existence. Yes. So, so, you know, we certainly came on with a survival mode and what we were really, really hoping that we could prove we could do is, is twofold. I mean, we, we have the overall goal of the right drug for the right patient at the right time by the right mm-hmm. route. And that's sort of our overall vision statement. But what we were really concentrating on at that time was reducing the development of resistance using VRE as our model organism and di- diminishing the side effects of antibiotics using C. difficile as our uh, sort of model organism. So those are our sort of two concentrated areas yeah. and allowed us to really follow those two items to make sure that what we were doing was safe. That sounds very interesting. I mean, that you now discuss some of the goals of Aspires. In terms of I, I guess we would want to talk a little bit about what is your strategy. So, you know, for our listeners to really understand what does a day look like when you're part of the Aspires program, and and what is the most effective strategy that you've uh, that you've utilized in centers. So, I think the most sort of overall arching, most effective strategy is to listen to the people that you're working with and do what they are interested in doing. Really, very much a positive deviance model. We initially sort of tried to set up a program and and do it. And that actually was much less well received than sort of coming in very humbly and asking, what are your problems? How can we help you? And and that I think is a much, it, it, it builds trust and it allows people to make use of their expertise because they are the experts in the place that they're at um, in their patient population. So I guess anyone who's trying to start a program really start with things that people want to do that where there's already enthusiasm and interest. Yeah, that's a very good point. In terms of when you guys were starting Aspires, what were some of the main obstacles that you faced? Like everybody else in every healthcare system known to man, the obstacle is money. Yes, that is true. (laughs) Um, So really um, trying to get that foot in the door from a financial point of view was a real challenge. Mm -hmm. And I I really have to thank my colleague, Elizabeth Bryce, who had been working here for quite a while and and had all the connections within the system to allow us to talk to the people who had the money and to build the business case to be able to do it and, and to have some collateral um, with the infection prevention program and some proof of of former success. Mm -hmm. So being able to pair with somebody like that was very helpful. And then really having to just repeatedly put our successes on the table, put our hard results on the table and just keep bringing it back and saying, look, we're doing good work. We'd like more resources. This is what we'll do with them. And some of that is serendipity. You just have to hit the you know, the anvil at the right moment. And so that we finally managed to get that done probably after about four years of trying to really Mm -hmm. expand the program to where we are now. Okay. Definitely a commendable um, approach and difficult always to initiate, but I think definitely a success story from that side. So 
Um, we're really excited to hear more about this. And so some of the, I guess, being the medical director currently, you know, what are some of the ongoing projects, quality improvement, you mentioned your um, initiatives and quality improvement, and you mentioned some of them while you were starting the program. Um, so are there some ongoing projects that you guys are currently working on? Yeah, what we try and do is we try and find learners who have an interest and do some, I, I, I'm much more of an iterative person than a big boil the ocean kind of person. So we start on really small projects and have our learners gather the data and then work with the people whose patients it applies to and, and trying to sort of do um, the PDSA cycles and improve. So we do a lot of that and all of those are are small but important. Yeah. Some of our bigger projects are around penicillin allergy. People have an absolute fear of penicillin allergy. And the truth is most people who think they're penicillin allergic are not. And so we've done a lot of work in terms of trying to delabel those people who are really easy to delabel. The, I don't know what my reaction was. I was five when you're speaking to an 85 year old. (laughs) Um, My mom told me I was allergic to penicillin. And a lot of those, either they weren't truly penicillin allergies, they were an allergy to an impurity in the formulation, or they were truly a penicillin allergic, but that's something that actually goes away over time. Mm -hmm. So that sort of group of people, and then recognizing that the cross-reactivity is much less than people think, and that most of the cephalosporins are generally safe um, with a few uh, notable exceptions, and that you can just start using the cephalosporins and stopping people from jumping up to the next level, like the carbapenems or whatever they might choose to use, um, rather than going for a a penicillin product. Right. And so is Aspire's working both in hospital and community aspects, or is this something that's hospital driven? This is hospital driven. We don't have the um, funding or the mandate for community. And there are people doing really, really great work in that space, like uh, Dr. David Patrick and Dr. Edith Blundell-Hill, both of whom really have wonderful uh, community stewardship programs. There's a bit Mm -hmm. of a hole for long-term care. And I, I suspect that will be asked to move on to that at some point. But right now we, we really want to stick to what we're funded to do, which is acute care. Yeah, fair. And so I'm sure a lot of our listeners would have um, watched our, um, or listened to, sorry, our first episode of the season on the CARS report. And there's definitely a lot of changes. We had some data come out kind of peri peak pandemic. So I wonder in terms of, so I won't go through all those, those details <laughs> due to time, because I'm more interested in hearing your approach and your, your thoughts on how do you think things have kind of changed um, either locally or nationally um, in these hospital kind of infection settings with like multi-drug resistance, but in the, in the era of having aspires. Do you think, like, do you want to comment a little bit and tell us a little bit about how this has probably influenced prescribers? Well, I, I think there's so many, there's a lot of moving parts. And the, the pandemic really was sort of a blow to the whole system. And we watched our antimicrobial use go through the roof for a number of reasons. Obviously, we had more people with respiratory infections, and it's very hard to know if that's bacterial or or viral. Mm-hmm. So despite the fact that we were, we knew we were probably over-treating, we didn't know whom we were over-treating. And, and that's really challenging. And the other challenge is that it was all hands on deck. And we had a lot of people who don't have the habit of managing inpatients 
who, who didn't, you know, who don't have that 20 years of experience looking at someone like, yeah, I think they'll probably be okay without antibiotics. Right. So we had people who predominantly had outpatient practices managing our inpatient COVID patients, and they are naturally more conservative as anyone would be when they're in an unfamiliar environment. So, right. so the, the pandemic was a real blow, but what it I think is allows us to do is just to step back, refocus, reset and reset priorities and really sort of work on those priority uh, interventions that will make a big difference. Right. And, and sort of stop being lost in the weeds a little bit, which happens if you've been at it for a while. And then in terms of, so definitely with AMR being a huge topic of discussion um, in this day and age, and for, I guess, in terms of your thoughts about ASP programs. Now, I really do appreciate that Aspire's is actually looking at more than antimicrobial use. And you're really angling it and looking at even infection control kind of measures, uh, for instance, like your C. diff projects and et cetera. And so I think there's multiple angles that you guys are looking at it. But overall, how do you think this phase is in terms of like battling AMR with with Aspires and, and what what benefits have you already seen? So hospital antimicrobial stewardship programs are necessary, but not sufficient for reducing AMR. And I I do want to sort of point out that Canada is actually in a very enviable position with respect to antimicrobial resistance. We we sort of take our lead from the U.S., but if you look at our resistance rates compared to the U.S. resistance rates, they're not comparable. For example, for hospital-acquired pneumonia, there's a 30% pseudomonas rate in the US, Well, we are under 4%, and I can tell you exactly which patients are at risk for it. So it's not something that's happening generally on our wards. And a lot of that, I, I don't know the explanation. My, my theory is that warmer environments are, are, tend to breed more uh, antimicrobial resistance just because there's more mixing in right. outside environment and soils. But that sort of brings us to the point that most of the antibiotics that are expo- that our environment sort of contains are not used for human health. They're used for uh, animal health, for animal growth. And we're also using them for a whole bunch of other things that aren't directly related to human health. So while humans do have our own ecosystem and we do have our own microbiome, we are interchanging it constantly with the world around us. And so really this needs to be concerted one health approach where we look at veterinary medicine, agriculture, human health, what's in the environment, what we're doing to mitigate antibiotics ending up in the environment so that they're not interacting with the environmental organisms that come back to us in our food um, and in our interactions with the environment. And I think, again, the, you know, benefits of looking at it from multiple angles um, and really appreciating that it is an entirety, like it's a full circle. We have to, we have to do everything right in the full circle (laughs) to, to ensure that we can see these reduction rates. So in terms of Aspires, what is the future goal of Aspires? I would like to see Aspires really be able to take that full circle of health and not be not not only looking at antimicrobial use, but looking at patient journey from start to finish, including looking at diagnostic stewardship. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of what we do, once you once you turn a rock over, you have to deal with whatever's under it. And sometimes those rocks are best not turned over. So trying to limit the number of unnecessary investigations, trying to make sure that we're we're doing the right thing for the right person and not over investigating, not over treating, 
there's a whole lot of other issues for patients that come from that when we find things that we're never going to bother them and they probably be better off not knowing. And then in terms of other centers, so like I'm out in Saskatchewan here and, you know, like we mentioned earlier in this conversation, that funding is sometimes a rate limiting step for, for a lot of us when we're running our antimicrobial stewardship programs. But despite that, I feel um, there's a lot of other challenges that we face, you know, just manpower, having the expertise from, you know, because ASP hasn't been around for that long um, in especially Canadian centers. And a lot of us, you know, don't have extra training to to run such programs is there opportunities for other provinces to liaise with aspires and and for it to expand nationally so i i think that there's absolutely opportunity for um people involved in stewardship to work together and i and i want to push back gently on the idea that you have to have expertise to be involved right. in antimicrobial stewardship I, I would say that it, essentially if somebody's interested and willing a good GP, a good internist, a good surgeon, if they're super interested in it, would be an, you know, a wonderful person to do it. Really, it has to do with the interest and taking the time to think about things and work through things. So it, it, it you, do, I mean, right. ID expertise is nice, yes, but it's not <laughs> necessary. In terms of Aspire's, the program itself, we, we yeah. are a, a Vancouver Coastal Health program, so that would probably not expand, but there are lots of opportunities for different provinces to liaise either through PHAC um, and CNISP, who, who are doing a lot of good work, yep. or um, through ME Canada, who also sort of is involved in working with uh, certain national people and creating our own little networks of people who work together. It's always nice to kind of know what our resources are out there and definitely a lot of us can reflect on that. And you're absolutely right. I think most of us, um, you know, don't really have a guidebook or anything that you use and really it is interest. And I think a lot of us on a day-to-day basis are actually practicing, you know, as good stewards um, and, and trying to do that. So, and reflecting on that. And, and I think another approach would be these like doing a quality improvement project, you know, entertaining the idea of having trainees at your center, you know, starting some of those projects and and really looking at it from different angles. So it was really great, all the work that you've done out there. It's, we're grateful uh, to hear about it. So for your listeners out there, what is one of the things that you kind of wanted to, what's the key kind of message you'd want to send out, you know, to pharmacists, nurses, physicians of all kinds, trainees, Um, in terms of anything that either there that inspired you to do this and and continue to kind of motivate others as well. So I really like to end my discussions um, when I'm talking to med students with more is not better, more is often worse. And that it really takes true knowledge and true courage to be the person who says, no, we, we don't need to do this next highest greatest thing right the patient is good as they are and simple care is the best care it gets people home it gets people back to what they care about which is you know living whatever life they've chosen to live and that more intervention really does cause more harm um, than benefit and we have to be very selective about what we choose to do that's great advice thank you um really appreciate that you're you were able to take the time out today to talk to us about the program 
give us your expertise and insight on a lot of great thoughts. I'm sure a lot of listeners um, are going to be excited to hear more about this. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. And um, it's been lovely to talk to you. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Pierwall, and a special thank you to Dr. Grant. Thanks for joining us, and if you have a topic suggestion, email us at thecanadianbreakpoint at gmail.com or tweet us on Twitter at CA Breakpoint. See you again soon at the Canadian Breakpoint. <laughs>